There's something ripping curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Extra. All systems remain nominal. 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 Hello, everybody, and welcome to TGP Nominal Extra. We are back doing the monthly Sky Guide for November this time, and we wouldn't be able to do that without Ross Hockham from UK Astronomy. How are you doing, sir? Well, I wouldn't say that. I'm sure there's other people out there, <laughs> more professional than myself. But yeah, I'm here. You've invited me back, so it must be good. <laughs> It's been really busy for you guys lately. Yeah, ridiculously busy. We had we had a week that was just as as you know, Phil the Force Day was on the beginning of October, wasn't it? Yeah, that was October? the yeah. sixth of October, yeah. That's the one. Yep, so we did Phil the Force Day, we were there our scopes teaching people then after that i was literally straight back to work after work i then had three events in a row one was a school it was in high wickham i was there from about one o'clock till about nine ten at night just literally doing talks to all the kids and then we were going to go out and do astronomy but unfortunately as it always is it was cloudy but i actually i ended up standing in a hall with parents and kids and they gave me a microphone and i was like oh god How's this going to go? So it was actually almost like I was a stand-up comedian or something. It was ridiculous, but great fun. Yeah, and then we had a, a local scout, actually, a really local, literally just down the road from me. We took the scopes there and talked to them, and then we went outside, and the moon and uh, Mars were really close together, so we showed them the moon and all that stuff, and they loved it. Awesome. And then after that, we had uh, the prestigious Stowe House. And yeah, that was an amazing night. And every time we've done it there so far, clear skies. And uh, I did a little talk at the beginning because there was some traffic because they closed the middle of Buckingham and have the fair inside it. So people were a little bit late. Didn't do my usual solar system talk because it would have taken too long. (laughs) As soon as it was clear outside, I just sat there and went, right, guys, I can either do a solar system talk now about all the planets and that, or you can go and get a nice cup of tea and uh, I think they had some sponge cake and lemon drizzle cake for them. And we can just go out for a couple of hours and I can actually show you out there rather than being sitting here. And they all naturally put their hand up and said, yeah, we don't talk to you anymore. We want to go as your disguise. And I was really lucky. So I had uh, two astronomers come to help, Daryl Hood and Stuart Gabb, just amateur astronomers from around. And Janelle as well, Janelle Harrow-Wilson, the NASA Solar System Ambassador, came along as well with loads of props to chat to the kids. It was brilliant. She's absolutely awesome, isn't she? Yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah, she's, she's really good. In fact, she must be good because my wife was stood next to her. And as we know, Frankie isn't into astronomy, really, or space or anything like that. But she entertained her talking about (laughs) space crumbs and things like that. How astronauts aren't allowed sandwiches. They have to have wraps. Yeah. (laughs) Although um, we've covered this in the podcast, uh, there is a German company that Mm. is actually designing a baker's oven for the ISS that doesn't actually leave crumbs. Awesome. So they're going to put an oven on a spaceship? Yeah. (laughs) Isn't NASA's biggest fear fire? (laughs) They they are going to be baking their own crumb-free bread on the ISS. Wow, can you imagine waking up floating around space to the smell of freshly cooked bread. Not to mention that they have got the Lavazza, and let me get this name of this right, the Iespresso. The Iespresso. Iespresso. Love it. Um, They've got a special espresso machine set up on the ISS for the Italian astronauts because they were fed up with the really (laughs) bad coffee. Fed up with rubbish coffee. (laughs) Rubbish English and American coffee. (laughs) Only the Italians, eh? That's brilliant. (laughs) 
But yeah, the, the, this is all true stuff. They, they have got an espresso machine on the ISS and they are the German company I cannot remember the name of the company now but they are building a special bread oven for the ISS that produces bread that leaves no crumbs so yeah could be interesting they'll have a cafe wow. a cafe up there soon don't tell the government that because <laughs> they'd be like how much money <laughs> yeah it's I, going I'd, into an I'd, oven I'd hate to think how much nothing's <laughs> gonna cost yeah I love it though it's all good fun isn't it all these sort of facts <laughs> and things that come out you guys have had some um, endorsement as well because you're working with the National Trust now, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, we haven't done an event properly with them yet, but I popped up to a place called Dunstable Downs, which is National Trust, and had a chat with a lady there. And Stowe House, funnily enough, is National Trust as well. It's kind of, I think Stowe House is a bit strange because it has both. Mm-hmm. I think it's partly National Trust, but also then you've got Stowe School. Yeah. And they're kind of linked together and we work kind of with the school obviously for the kids and that but uh yeah the national trust dunstable downs went up and had a chat with them because they want to do uh kind of like a joint thing with dark sky wales as well the guys from there come down and they just they do astronomy nights and they get a load of people down they want me to do the part that's the talk so i do like a half hour talk to everyone they have like four different places to go they split everyone up so it's not just one mass of people this is just the gist i've got from talking to them it's not it's all you know they've still got to plan the logistics yet but yeah so i'll do a talk for half an hour then i think they have a planetarium for half an hour then they go outside with actually all the telescopes for half an hour and they've got loads of volunteers and other astronomers that are going to come and help with that side which is great for me because as you know we're pretty much a husband and wife team and you know, <laughs> any other astronomers that come to help us, is we'll make sure we look after you. Get tea, coffee, biscuits, I always bring. Yeah, and then something else as well for the, the kids and that to do. I think we're doing six events now booked in for next year there. So that's that's amazing. And then from them, I'm actually having a meeting with a lady at Campbell Park, which again is in Milton Keynes, just down the road. And that's National Trust. Oh, that is just an awesome site for... Ah, uh... oh, with the shard thing there. Yeah, yeah. That's what, yeah, and the moon rises right in front of you and you just think, ah, oh. so I'm going to have a chat with her and they want to do an event in October so you know with with Snow Dunstable and you know that I'm thinking wow I'd do the National Trust <laughs> they want to invite little old me little Ross to go and you know do a talk I love it it's brilliant Space the final frontier Final because it wants to kill us. Sometimes we forget that. Start taking it all for granted. The suits, the ships, the little bubbles of safety as they protect us from the void. But the void is always waiting. Did you know that right now we have a spacecraft orbiting the moon? The Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter has been at the moon for over seven years, providing unprecedented detail into our nearest neighbor in space. I'm Noah Petro, and for more information about the moon and the LRO mission, go to nasa.gov LRO and follow us on Twitter, at LRO underscore NASA. On canvas with paint in the artist's school, it is red that is hot and blue that is cool. But in science we show, as the heat gets higher, a star will glow red like the coals of a fire. Raise the heat some more, and what is in sight? Behold, the star glows bright white. But the hottest of all, I say unto you, is neither red nor white when a star has turned blue. This is TGP Nominal. 
So, Ross, November. Getting into the good season. Because I went out to the dark side and I saw the Milky Way, and I thought, I'm actually going to talk about the Milky Way. Obviously, I'm going to say what's going to happen in the month. But this month, I really just kind of want to almost do like just a tour of the Milky Way. Because as I said, like I went out a few weeks ago to our dark site. It's in Steeple Claydon, which isn't too far away from Milton Keynes, which is where I live. At the beginning, we had our telescopes out and we just spent the whole night looking up with around 10 other astronomers, beginners and guests that came along. And it was a really nice mix of people because you had complete beginners. You had some people that knew how to use scopes but didn't really have their own. And then you had astronomers and everyone was just chatting to each other and helping each other. And yeah, we literally just stood there and as it got darker, this just long curved milky white band stretched out above us. We all just almost stopped looking at our scopes completely. I made a cup of tea for everyone and we all sat there with a cup of tea, a couple of biscuits and just looked up. Must have been for about half an hour to an hour, which sounds ridiculous. But you're seeing an arm of the galaxy that we live in there above you. And we were really lucky because it is a dark site and the night was clear. So we literally didn't use our telescopes. <laughs> we just stared up at awe at this milky white band there. So what we're going to do then, I'm going to start, say you go out somewhere where it's nice and dark and it's around about 10 o'clock. So it's not too late, but it's late enough to, you know, the Milky Way is out for you to see. And so if you're standing there, if you look to the east, the opposite side to where the sun sets, that's where the Milky Way kind of starts. It starts rising up and it rises up through the head of Orion, the hunter, the constellation. It goes up again through Auriga, kind of skimming Taurus, which is to its right. Because they're kind of joined together, Auriga and Taurus constellation. There's a line that connects them for some reason. And then it flows slap bang through Perseus, the legendary hero, through the vain queen Cassiopeia, past her husband, which is also up there, King Cepheus. I call him Cepheus. Probably be wrong, but you know me. We know about all this, don't we, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> then it goes across the swan Cygnus, and it's almost like the swan is swooping down through the milky band towards the western horizon finally passing two small constellations now this one i don't like and fulpecula i'm going to call it it's v-u-l-p-e-c-u-l-a fulpecula sounds all right sounds it? good yeah sounds like and then uh sagittar as well two very small constellations there and they go it goes through them and then finally it meets the eagle aquila and it's star altar right sort of to the west just all you can see really is it looks like his tail just sticking out so that's how the milky way goes up and across the sky and it really is it's quite high at the moment usually it's best in the summer but at the moment it's quite good it's almost it's strange it's like a band but the band kind of then lowers towards the sky and then comes back up again so to sit there we were just like oh my god it's brilliant so what i'm going to do for a change i'm not going to talk about telescopes i'm just going to go for naked eye because that's what we did we stood out and we just looked at it so there's plenty to keep you entertained with the naked eye so you're standing there, look towards the east. First of all, you spot Betelgeuse, Orion's massive star. We've talked about Betelgeuse before, haven't we? The massive red yeah. star that's about to explode in a supernova at any point. So you've got Betelgeuse there, big red star. You've got the Pleiades and the Hyades and Taurus. Uh, they're just to the Milky Way's right. So if you start in Orion, you've got Betelgeuse star. Go up and slightly to the right, you've got a lovely sort of diagonal V of the Hyades. 
which are all kind of red stars. So you can see a nice V in the sky and then to the right of them or above them, depending how it is, you've then got the Pleiades, which are the complete opposite, really nice blue stars. And you can see wow. them by eye. So in comparison, then you've got a, a whole nest of old stars and a whole nest of new stars. Yeah, pretty much. It's the way it looks up there. And it's really nice because you have red and blue. It's quite cool to look up and see the two contrasting stars, as you said. I think there's seven of each. The Pleiades are called the Seven Sisters, aren't they? Yeah. And if you actually look at the Hades or Hades, there's meant to be seven of them and they're the brothers. But no one really calls them the seven brothers. So yes, yeah, so you've got that. So Taurus is just to the, the right of the Milky Way as it goes up. To the left of that, you have Auriga and you'll see the white goat star Capella, which is really bright. And it's a really nice white, bright star. Auriga's like a pentagon. So it's in the pentagon of Auriga, you'll see that bright star. And you can look up why it's called the goat star. There's a funny story behind Zeus suckling from it and stuff. A bit weird. If you go up through the Milky Way, you get to Perseus. And around Perseus's head, you can see a really bright patch. That's actually a cluster of stars between him and Cassiopeia, which is a uh, sideways W at the moment. Right. As the sky moves, the actual the W goes upside down, round to the side, and then back up again in the actual Milky Way. Instead, they threw her in the sky, sitting on her chair with her mirror, looking at herself, because she was a vain queen. And they say they threw her up there like that, because apparently being upside down is a sign of discrediting you sort of thing. So technically, probably all of them do that, the way the sky moves at some point. <laughs> but it's meant to show that she was vain and they threw her up her to say, you're not that good looking. <laughs> so yes, you've got the, the W of stars there on its side. And then you carry on up through Cassiopeia and you'll find up to the star Deneb, which is the swan's tail, Cygnus. And if you actually look, you can see from its tail down, kind of almost like a cross, but the, the sideways ones kind of move almost like a W again. So it actually looks like its wings spread out either side of the Milky Way. And its tail down for its body to its neck is actually the Milky Way flowing down. So it's like the swan flying in the sky, which is quite cool to see. And yeah, if you follow through from its tail, so from the star Deneb down towards its sort of head, which is another star, which I'll talk about in a minute, you may notice there that the Milky Way almost disappears. It's like a, there's a big dark patch there and it's known as the great rift and it's where there's like really dense interstellar clouds and they actually block the view of the more distant stars almost looks like a turbulent you know dusty milky you know almost like in water where you like stir up all the dirt it looks like that all through there and it's really it, you know, it gives you a really good view of like our galaxy and how it's twisting and mixing everything together and that that's creating new planets and stars and and life so yeah that's that's really cool thing to look at although you sit there and go ah oh, it looks a little bit dark there what's all that about <laughs> yeah she <laughs> it actually is a great rift so imagine the size of that it must be humongous so yeah and as you uh the density as you go down through there you then go to the swan's head which is a bright star just to the right of the swan's head there's an even brighter star and that's called vega and that's a really, really bright blue, awesome star. And it's in the constellation Lyra, which is uh, it's meant to be a harp. Yeah. Which is kind of like a, it almost looks like a diamond. Mm -hmm. And, and Vega is kind of like just off to it, isn't it? And it's really, really, really cool. And that's where the Ring Nebula lies. So if you're there, have a peek at that. You might be able to see it. If you talk about harps and things like that, I think in Gaelic, in Irish, the word for harp is actually Lyra. Oh, excellent. So, so that's where it comes from then. Well, it probably comes from the Latin, but it's yeah. it's it's for that because as you probably know, the uh, one of the emblems for Ireland is is a harp. 
Which, yeah. is, which is why you find it on the logo for a Guinness. Ah, now explains it. <laughs> didn't know that. I didn't know that. See, full of information you are. You <laughs> can not... even turn astronomy into beer. Oh, of course I can. <laughs> it turns anything into beer, me. <laughs> That's the Milky Way with the naked eye. You could you could stand there for hours, honestly. If you just like lie there with a cup of tea and looking up, it, it is amazing. All the sort of different fuzzies and blotches and how it all... Oh, so, mate, and the longer you sit there, the more you'll be able to see. That being said, it is actually through binoculars, not telescopes, where the Milky Way really comes alive because it's quite a big patch in the sky. So with telescopes, you know, you'll be zooming in too much. So binoculars, this is the time when binoculars shine. They are absolutely awesome because you'll suddenly notice that as you look through them around the Milky Way, you will notice billions of more stars. And in fact, our galaxy holds about 200 to 400 billion. So at all of these stars... From what I've seen from NASA finding all these exoplanets everywhere, almost every single one has its own solar system of planets. Pretty much. Yeah, which is phenomenal. Imagine that. Every star you look at, you know, pretty much has planets going around it as well. That's unbelievable. There's got to be life somewhere. It's stupid to say otherwise. Yeah. We'll leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, get ready for the complaints to flood in. (laughs) Yeah, so if we start again with binoculars... If you move from Betelgeuse, the star that we spoke about on Orion, and if you move up, diagonally right almost, to his head, there's a star there called Mysa, M-E-I-S-S-A. If you look with binoculars at it, it actually has a mini Orion's belt itself. It's like a little cluster that has three little stars, blue stars, in a line. So you go from Orion's belt to a mini little Orion's belt. So it's almost like a constellation within a constellation. It's quite cool. And in fact, if you do move back down to Orion's belt with your binoculars, you'll notice that it's not just three stars there. There's a whole group of stars around them, and it's known as the Colander 70. Because funnily enough, there are around 70 other really bright stars, almost like in an oval around the three. So with binoculars, you get to see all these stars coming out from the Milky Way. And it's fantastic. So if we go back now through the Milky Way up to Orion's elbow of his raised arm and you know you probably know where I'm going with this Mark because I always talk about it because I think it's brilliant as you go up through the Milky Way you may spot a peculiar sight and it's the number 37 and it's written there right by his elbow in the stars that you can see with binoculars in the Milky Way so the 37 is right there to see and it is it is one of those things that's you know, not a lot of people know it but I'm thinking I don't know why because it's quite easy to find and it is a really cool thing to see it's brilliant if you move from the elbow upwards and go slightly to the left of the Milky Way into the Pentagon of Auriga that I spoke about with the binoculars. Centre right of the Pentagon, there's a really lovely cluster that people say resembles like a minnow jumping out of a line of stars below it like the water. So it's almost like there's a minnow going up and curving to the left with nice water below it and splashes of stars coming out from it. Uh, If you've got a keen eye, you can see it with the naked eye. It's quite cool seeing a minnow, (laughs) a fish, jumping from a sea of stars and then if you've got a really good eye just to the left of that you may spot there's a trio of globular clusters too in Auriga they look like kind of little fuzzies three little fuzzies about two of them are inside Auriga one's just outside of the line of Auriga to its left probably just sort of below Capella have a look for them and if you can keep a steady hand lay on the floor or because now you'll be sort of looking slightly higher up or get a reclining chair, one of the best things, because you can rest your arms on the rests and you can just sit there. Then you might be able to actually spot all the stars in the globular clusters start to come out at you. I mean, you can look at Taurus to the right as well and the Pleiades, but we've spoken about that before, so I'm going to jump up to Perseus because we don't talk about Perseus much, really. And if you look at the heart of Perseus, the constellation, the hero, 
you'll see there's a really nice open cluster of stars around its main star, which is Murphak. I'm going to call it Murphak. It has got, I don't know if it's got a silent P. It's M-I-R-P-H-A-K. So should we go Murphak? I can't really say Murphak. It sounds a little bit... Sounds like a, bu- a butter <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not Lurpak. <laughs> so yeah, it's, I'm not even going to mention it now because I'm going to say Lurpak and I am. They're mainly blue and white, all surrounded around the main star itself. And they're surrounded by the backdrop of the Milky Way. So there's hundreds more stars all there in the background. So you see the main ones coming out, but then you see a backdrop of all these stars. If you move up to Perseus's head, and this is the thing I was talking about, you might see a little fuzz there. In between his head and Cassiopeia is what I always say a jaw-dropping double cluster of stars. It's called the Perseus Double Cluster. It can be seen with a naked eye. If you do have a telescope... And you've got the capacity. A normal eyepiece is a uh, 1.25 inches. If you can get a two-inch eyepiece in there, which some Dobsonians can do, and I think other Newtonians might be able to do that as well, you can then get bigger eyepieces with a bigger field of view, and you can get like 32 to 42 mils. So you're kind of zooming right out. If you can do that with an eyepiece, this cluster looks absolutely spectacular. So through binoculars and a telescope with a big eyepiece absolutely spectacular that's all i'm going to say you need to actually look and see it yourself because it's two clusters together either side of each other almost mirroring each other of just bright blue stars and they, they really shine from the darkness behind them if we go up to cassiopeia the best thing to do with cassiopeia start with the bottom star because it is on its side move from star to star as we call it star hopping as you slowly move from star to star there it is just jam-packed with lovely little clusters of stars all over the place because it is right in the flow of the milky way if you're really lucky you might be able to spot there is actually a cluster that looks like an owl looking back at you so as you're looking at him he'll be looking at you so that's something cool to see now if we move up to the actual swan itself and the star deneb which is the swan's tail if you move through the body of the swan, which is where the Great Rift is I spoke about, there's more clusters to be had here all around the sort of swan. There's little clusters going on there. But the prize, really, for this constellation lies at its head. So the head of the swan, and you've got a star, Alberio. And it's one of the most famous double stars in the night sky because while one is bright, yellow-orange, it has a really close partner that is actually white and blue. So it makes a truly fantastic contrast of colours. It's one of the best known ones, one of the best ones to see. So you have a big bright sort of yellow star and then a nice blue one. And they're so close together that it really does look amazing. It's really cool. So you have to look at the swan's head. Don't forget that. And while you're there, if you just move to the right slightly, there is a nice little globular cluster, M56. I don't think it has a name. If it does, I didn't find it. So you can, you can go and have a go at spotting another globular cluster that's nearby it. As we move down, I mentioned those two small constellations, didn't I? Perpetula and Sagittar. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a bit of a challenge for you. In between these two, they're almost pretty much just like two lines of stars, kind of like diagonal at an angle going down. In between these two, now I talked about the Ring Nebula, didn't I, being like the dying star and it looks like a polar mint in space. Yeah. And that's Vega and Lyra, which I spoke about the naked eye. Here, there's another dying star and it's known as the Dumbbell Nebula. So it's very much like the Ring Nebula, but you're actually looking at it sideways on rather than straight ahead of it. So instead of it being circular, it's kind of like the star's in the middle and it's puffing out either side where it's throwing the gases out left and right. Now, if you can spot it, the best way, it's kind of in between the two top stars of both constellations. So if you start on one and you move down diagonal left or just down, depending on the night sky, between the two, you should be able to spot it around there. And it is really cool to see. And if you've got a telescope, pop there and have a look at that. I had a look the other day. 
when we were out at our Dark Sky site and it really did come out really well this time of year. Uh, there's also another globular of cluster that you can see. So if you go to the middle of Sagittarius the constellation, there's a little glob cluster there that might be quite easy to find. So if you can't find a dumbbell nebula, don't worry. Pop down there and see if you can see that. And finally, as we move down to the three stars that make up the eagle's tail, that's pretty much when you get to there, you've got really three really bright stars in a line. Almost looks like Ryan's belt again a bit. And that's the tail of the eagle that's kind of dipping below the horizon now. And that's pretty much where your tour of the Milky Way is complete because we've gone right up across it all with binoculars and down back to the other side. But there is plenty more to discover up there. So don't stop here. Keep scanning the skies, star hop, and look at any of those fuzzy bits that you can see with your eyes. If you're sitting there and looking, you see a little fuzz in the sky. It's usually something bright that's within the Milky Way or just outside of it. The Andromeda galaxy may be one of them. It is up and you can see it by eye. Just remember, while you're looking up and you're looking around the sky, you're actually looking at part of a galaxy, I'm going to say around 13.6 billion years old, because I've looked at the age and people kind of differ. Some say 13.4, some say 0.7, so I'm going to go around about the average. But yeah, you're looking at a galaxy that's billions of years old and all these stars and rifts and clusters and things all going on up there. So happy hunting! got a little guide for the the month ahead if you're up for that yeah so it's only a quick little one just sort of like you know some of the bright things that you can see and what's going on in the days so start with just a couple of planets the moment jupiter is kind of gone really you can't really see it much mars is up again still it's quite good saturn is up for a few hours but is slowly going as well so we're going to lose that within a few months so really the the main ones at the moment that you can see are the furthest ones so you've got uranus that's in the constellation Pisces at the moment and at the beginning of the month is a great time to try and find it because the moon's kind of out of the way as well as the furthest planet Neptune which I actually saw a few weeks ago at the site when uh, another astronomer Stuart Gabb came along and he joined us for a dark sky casual stargazing night although he did find it using a go-to so I do feel cheated because <laughs> I like to find it manually because to me that's that's a, that's a real hunt but we got it within the sites and we did actually have to do a little bit of star hopping to figure out which one it was because it was quite hard to see but it did look like a little marble just sitting there in space it's really 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 cool so that's finally for me that was the only planet that I had not seen so that's it I've completed my solar system sites Bingo! I've seen them all so I know what they look like I know how to find them I'm over the moon all I've got to find now is Pluto really although I have found another I've forgotten which one it was but I did find another dwarf planet so yeah Neptune is in Aquarius at the moment so Uranus it's in Pisces and Neptune's in Aquarius they are a little bit difficult to find but if you've got an app on your phone that can show you where it is and also do a little bit of star hopping you should be able to find it fine as long as you don't live in Milton Keynes like me be all good right so on to dates November the 8th it's a bit of a twilight challenge because there's a 1% crescent moon which is actually near the planet Jupiter as the sun sets. 
Never look at the sun, you go blind. You know, I'm not going to get sued for that. I've said it. So it's all good. Never look at the sun. But as it sits, there'll be a tiny, thin little crescent moon, which is really cool to see, quite hard to see. And it won't be far from the planet Jupiter to be able to see that as well. And as I said, we're pretty much bidding farewell to the king of the planets now. It's kind of slipping below the horizon. Don't think we'll see much of it until next year. The next day, on the 9th, the moon starts to get fuller. So from this point, the thin crescent gets uh, fuller as it waxes through the month. And it seems to almost be going backwards in the sky. So it starts around, as I said, by Jupiter and the sun. And then around about 9th or 11th-ish, it will then go backwards, getting brighter up to Saturn. Then it passes under Mars around about the 15th or the 16th, till it then becomes a like, sort of full moon around the 22nd where you can watch it rise up from the horizon because it looks spectacular. It looks really big because of an illusion created by our atmosphere. So it's a cool thing to do. Go and grab a hot chocolate, sit on a hill, and just watch the moon rising out. It's really wicked. On the 12th, there's a meteor shower. It's the uh, Taurids. It's one of the longest peaking meteor showers because it lasts. the peak actually lasts around about 10 days and the moon's out of the way. So it'll make for good viewing if you're already out looking up at, you know, like the nearby... Pleiades or the, the Hades as I was talking about, the Milky Way, which is the bull's head. Both of them are fantastic binoculars, as you know. On the 23rd, the moon will be just below Aldebaran, which is the bull's eye in Hades. So on the 23rd, if you're looking around the area, have a look at the Hades because the, the moon will be there. It's quite cool for a, a nice picture to have the V stars and the moon together. But yeah, the Taurids, they're around that area. They're kind of where the Pleiades are, so the Seven Sisters. They'll be radiating from there. You, I don't think there's that many an hour, but I do believe that the way they enter the atmosphere, they're kind of quite slow burning. So you might get a good slow burn across the sky as they go. So it's always worth a look. You never know, you might see like a big fireball. On the 14th, if you're an early riser, you'll be greeted by the goddess of beauty. You'll be rising just before the sun in the morning, since Venus has now become a morning object. It will be close to Virgo star, I think it's Speaker. Speaker, Spiker? So it'll make a good photo opportunity to have nice twilight in the background, a star, Venus. If you look for a telescope at Venus, it will have a thin crescent. It'll be a really thin crescent as it's kind of coming around the sun again, which is really cool to see. On the 17th, there's another meteor shower. And it's uh, the Leonid, so it's in Leo, the big lion in the sky. And it's best observed midnight onwards because it's, it's higher up. And it'll be uh, radiating or coming from around the lion's head itself. So if you're looking around there, you'll be able to see meteors flying about, hopefully. If you get a nice wide eyepiece in your telescope, and binoculars possibly, and have a look at the lion's back left leg, you'll find there's a lovely trio of galaxies there to see. So while you're there waiting for them, have a little peek. And then last but not least, on the 20th, if you missed Venus earlier in the month, Today is a great opportunity to see it. It's going to have a really nice slender crescent with a telescope and it rises about three hours before the sun does. So you'll have to get up early for a morning brew and go out and see the goddess of beauty. And that is everything that I have for you for November. Now I've got a, a couple of events that uh, my local astronomical group are actually putting on. Um, that's the Letchworth and District Astronomical Society. They've got a public star party on the 10th of November between half past seven and ten o'clock in the evening. Uh, it's free to get in and it's at the standalone farm in Letchworth, which is where their observatory is. And it's quite a nice dark sky area there. Basically, they're going to be looking at the usual kind of stuff, you know, star clusters, nebulae, 
galaxies, planets, all that kind of stuff. Um, as I say, it's free to get in. Have a look at Facebook for their page. So that's the Letchworth and District Astronomical Society Facebook page. And that'll keep you updated with what's going on just in case there's weather situations, which being in the UK, that's probably... Yeah, and know all about that. <laughs> and don't forget to wrap up warm because it's going to be cold. <laughs> yeah, bring a flask, a flask of something hot. Also, they've got an event on the 24th of November, which is a free telescope workshop now what they're planning to do with that is um if you're going to be choosing a telescope for christmas or you you've got one that you're not sure how to use it and you want to get some help um they can help you um get the best from your scope they need you to bring the scope along with you so that they can set it up properly They'll, they can do that but you need to get in touch with them in advance if you have got a scope that you've got problems with because so, so that they can look into the scope for you again it's free of charge although they would welcome donations to help carry on with other events and things like that as i say that's on the 24th of november and it's the same time again it's from half past seven till 10 o'clock at night there are refreshments also in included at the event definitely go to the workshops there is no better way to learn about your scope than to go there and have someone show you how it works build it for you teach you about it i've done it it is it's fantastic you definitely should go there i always like to mention events that my local group put out if there are other local groups out there that have got events that they want to promote on the show get in touch and uh, we can do that for you yeah and also UK Astronomy go on the Facebook group we love people posting their local events on there because I can only reach a certain area so if you guys are out there doing other things get it on the group post it in there post your event in there let them see it because the more people you know we need to work together to go and teach people about the skies Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, Spanhead Productions. Dot .weebly.com That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com Just before we go, I'm going to see First Man on Friday. Have you seen it yet? I haven't yet, no. No? Oh, so I was going to say to you, we're going to have to, you know, you'd have to let me know. We're going to have to have a chat about it. Because I don't know. I know about the moon landing, but I don't know as much as, you know, you know a lot more than me about, you know, rockets and astronauts and things like that. We could have a good chat, I reckon. So we might have to have a little chat about it when I've seen it. Yeah, definitely. I think John would be interested in talking about that as well, to be honest, because uh, he loves everything about space as well. So he'll be interested in his take on it as well, because there has been a lot of controversy towards the movie. And Is there? Yeah. Um, <laughs> because in the film, they don't actually show the the flag bearing ceremony where they um patch ah, the yes, flag into that. the ground on the moon yeah uh, and a lot of people have been up in arms over that in in America but it's not about America it's about Neil Armstrong's personal journey uh, yeah. to to get to the moon so yeah it'd be interesting to see what the fuss is all about really yeah 
Well, there you go then. We'll have to have a, we'll have to see if we can catch up with John, yeah. get all together again one night, because he's in America, isn't he? So we'll have to find a time that, that suits us all. And yeah, that would probably make a good chat. I'll be quite look forward to that, because I don't know much about it. So to see the film, I can then ask questions to you guys, and it'll, yeah, I reckon it'll make a good, good conversation. Yeah, good fun. Definitely. So, Ross, once again, fantastic having you on the show. Yeah, always, always glad to be here. Thanks to everyone out there for listening. And don't forget to listen to the main show later in the month. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then... Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event.